Praise God, you guys. Uh, you know, I've been uh, working on a couple messages, and like I said, I got laid out for a few days. And, uh, and I was uh, contemplating, because I'm not going to be able to be here. I'm going to be here Christmas Eve, the day before, which will be Sunday. Uh, then I'm going to Idaho for a few days, so I won't be able to preach a New Year's message, which I love preaching New Year's messages just to help us get focused and so forth. Pastor Steve will be preaching, and I know it'll be a really good message uh, that he preaches, so I'm looking forward to that for you guys. So I basically had today, and then I have uh, this coming Sunday, and so I thought, you know, it's kind of tough because I don't really, can't really do New Year's messages. Like I said, I love to do New Year's messages to help really hone in our perspective for the coming year. That doesn't mean we won't be doing that at the beginning of next year, different times, just really getting perspective. But I thought I could do that Sunday, but that's kind of not really fitting because the next day is Christmas, so I want to do a Christmas message. So I thought today I'm going to kind of do a Christmas slash New Year's message in a way, just to kind of encourage you guys. Uh, But really, I wanted to really help you understand what we have, man, a lot of people are just spiritually blinded to who they have, what they have in Christ. Most Christians are clueless as to who we have, who we have in Jesus and what he is and how much we have in him and how thankful we ought to be. And how our lives can be far more enriched than they are. And so I wanted to go through some passages and just kind of encourage you today, you know, about, you know, sometimes you leave here. I think Rich Myers said, man, depends on when you preach. Sometimes I'm flying higher than a kite. Sometimes I'm dragging my rear end out the door, you know. Because sometimes we deal with, you know, especially deal with sin. You know, Rich has a lot of that, you know. No, I'm teasing that. Teasing about that. But Rich loves truth, so you get convicted when you get in the Word, you know. But we have to speak the truth, amen. And sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts us. Often he does. To get right with him, amen? To be right with God. To walk, amen? But he also wants to encourage, encourage us in who we are in the Lord. And this is more of an encouraging message. You know, uh, some people, they have wish lists, you know, as to what they could have for Christmas, you know? And we tend to sometimes become me, myself, and I focused this time of year as though it's about us and what we might get rather than realizing it's what God is, what he did, who he is. And yes, he blessed us beyond anything, any way we could ever be blessed or imagine. But, uh, you know, I was reading about a three a CEO and his two secretaries, and they, f- they found a bottle, you know, as they were walking through the parking lot after lunch, and, and out jumped a genie. And they asked, genie asked him whatever they wanted, and one of the secretaries says, I want to be on vacation in the Caribbean. Poof, she's gone. <laughs> the other secretary is like, I want to be on tour in France, going through a tour of, this, of Paris. Poof, she's gone. The CEO is like, I wish my secretaries were back to help me work. Boom, they're back, you know. <laughs> and thankfully, we don't have that kind of power, amen. Uh, but what would you wish for? You know, it's funny, when you think of Christmas songs, in 1944, Donald Gardner, it's not a very spiritual Christmas song, but he was a second grade teacher at the time there in New York, uh, in uh, Smithstown's New York, and and he asked his second graders what they wanted for Christmas. 
And they started answering, but he noticed that they all had lisp. You know, they couldn't really talk because he noticed that each and every one of them was missing at least one of their front teeth. So then he wrote this song. You might be familiar. 30 minutes, minutes later, he wrote a song. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth. See, my two front teeth. If I could only have my two front teeth, then I could wish you a Merry Christmas. You know? Well, some people want this. Some people want that. But I love what Paul says. Beyond two front teeth, beyond a trip to Paris or the Caribbean, he speaks of Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, as the unspeakable gift. And I love that verse. And he says specifically, thanks be, to, uh, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And I love that. And I've shared that verse numerous times through the years because it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He calls Paul, Paul calls Jesus the unspeakable gift. Some translations have unexpressible gift. And I always trip out because Paul was a master with words. Amen? He wrote half the New Testament. He's using Greek. The Greek language is one of the most expressive languages yet. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen? And it's really the Holy Spirit through Paul limited by our earthly language and not using a Greek word to describe Jesus there, although many are used throughout the New Testament, but simply letting us know, and I'm glad this word is used, unexpressible or unspeakable, because the Lord God is letting us know that human language is limited in really conferring upon us a robust understanding of the depths and the riches of who Jesus is to us. Amen? Because Christ and who he is in your life and ought to be in your life is the gift that is so profound that we simply scratch the surface in coming to know him in this life, which is good that we get a start in this life. Amen? But that's why you have that prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 when Paul prays that we might understand, comprehend the depth, the width, the length, right, of God's love for us in Christ Jesus, that we might understand it more because it's so profound. And that's good because, you know, we need Christ, amen? Without Christ, we're dead in our sins. We're not complete. We're not who we're created to be. And we all have those experiences of loneliness at times, of a sense of futility, a sense of guilt, a sense of having ruined aspects of our lives in the past or the present or hurting some of the future. And Jesus came to turn all that around, amen, to redeem us from the curse of the law, amen, to save us from our sins, to save us from ourselves, to save us from the powers of darkness. And we forget and we fail to recognize that we already have the best thing. You could try to wish for a thousand and one things, but until you set your sights on Jesus, you really don't have the ultimate answer. Amen? And the crazy thing is, when you have Christ, you have not only the answer, but you have all these other wonderful things. Amen? That come with Christ in the giving of him as the ultimate gift. Are you with me? And the answer, you know, to the unspeakable gift as far as what it is, is found in the scripture. For instance, in Luke chapter 2, unto you is born this day in the city of David a sav the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
right? Or Isaiah 9, 6, a prophecy of the Old Testament, 9 or 700 years before Christ came. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So he is the answer to everything. And I want you and myself and by the grace of God for us to be saturated with Jesus this time of year. And not just this time of year, the, the whole next year. This message is for Christmas, but this message is for next year and beyond. In fact, I titled this message, you know, Christmas for the New Year. Because I always say Thanksgiving should not just be one Thursday a year, amen? It should be every day for Christians, amen? We're called to be giving thanks at all times, amen? Well, celebrating Christ should also be a daily celebration. And a lot of times kids wish Christmas was every day. Well, guess what? It should be for us. We should always be celebrating who Jesus is. Now, Solomon, go please with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, which I'm fascinated by this because you remember David's son, Solomon, there in 2 Chronicles, he's told, he's basically given a wish list, basically. What, how do you want to be blessed? How do you want your God to bless you? And go to 2 Chronicles chapter 1, and his answer is astonishing and beautiful all at the same time. And I would that we would each answer in a similar fashion. Verse 7 of 2 Chronicles chapter 1 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, Ask what I shall give you. Not a genie, not a demon or some jinn, but God. Huh. And Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For you can rule this great people of yours. Who can? Who can rule this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you. Nor have you even asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor. Huh, that's interesting. Such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. So Solomon went from the high place, which was at Gibeon, from the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and uh, he reigned over Israel. Now, isn't that fascinating? He's at, he can, what do you want from me, God says to him? Just ask. He asked for knowledge and wisdom because he, he senses this is foreboding, ominous responsibility of guiding God's people and presenting them before the Father and giving a good account for his life. And he sees that pressing upon him. And he could have just, you know, 
sh- you know, shirked the duty and said, man, I want to be famous. I want a lot of money and everything else. I want to be a rock star, rap star, whatever. He's like, no, I want to please you. I want to do what's right and, be, and, and give it a good account for what you've put before me. And bam. And the Lord says, you know what? And also, guess what? You didn't ask for wealth and honor and all that. I'm going to give that to you too. I'm going to throw that in. And that's what, and when I see that, 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 that story, I love that story because it's, it, it shows the heart of God too, amen? It shows the awesome thing that God's done in Solomon's heart at that point. But it shows the heart of God to say, well, guess what? I'm going to bless you too because you have your priorities right. Blessing most Christians with a ton of money would destroy them. A lot of Christians anyway, right? They would just have too much. Like this psalmist said, Lord, don't give me too much where I forget you. And then don't give me too much, too little to where I'm tempted to steal. But he sees that Solomon's heart's in the right place at that point, And that he'll use it to his glory at that point. Of course, Solomon, as time went on, his heart grew cold. He, went, he, he fell, as we know. But he returned to the Lord later in his life. Read the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's really interesting and fascinating when you look at this. But this is what trips me out about this. If he seeks wisdom and knowledge, he gets these other things thrown in. I thought, that's such a powerful picture because when we seek Jesus, we get every other good thing thrown in. Isn't that amazing? When you open the unspeakable, unexpressible gift, Jesus Christ, when you turn to Jesus Christ and you begin to unwrap him in your life and and have more of Jesus and less of you, you get more and more blessed because the blessings are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the creator of all things. And when we have him, we have everything, you guys. We are incredibly rich in Christ. I'm talking about spiritually rich. Oh, I thought you were, I was hoping you were saying materially rich, Joe. Spiritually rich blows away materially rich. You're going to walk on streets of gold forever, okay? That's the asphalt. The asphalt up there is made of gold, okay? Let the guy, he dies, you know. He, he, he has this bag of gold, and he tries to bring heaven, and the Lord, the angel, the angel is like, why do you bring asphalt, you know? That's the cheap stuff. No, not that it's cheap, but I'm saying in God's perspective, it's all over the place, you know? Now, it's interesting because in Christ, we have all these wondrous things. In fact, you want to have knowledge, Amen. You want to have wisdom. Wisdom is how you live life skillfully. Wisdom is not only ascertaining true knowledge of God, but it's the application of that knowledge in right situations whereby you can make decisions skillfully that will bless your life and bless the lives of others and glorify God in the midst of doing that. Not in that order. Starting with glorifying God in your decision making, but in in blessing the Lord and living for Him by making right decisions based on his wisdom that he imparts to us through his word. That's where the blessings are. But you know where that wisdom and where that knowledge is? It's all in Jesus. In fact, listen to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, Paul writes, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth 
attaining to what? All the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in, listen to this, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is, check this out, what's God's mystery? He says that is Christ himself. In whom, listen, in whom, this is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Catch that? In Christ are hidden all the what? Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not in the Simi Valley Library. Not even in the Library of Congress. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen? You know, you're far wiser than the, you know, the greatest academics on earth that don't know God. Because it says in Romans chapter 1, that they profess to be wise, but they have made themselves fools because they've suppressed the knowledge of God, right? And they're given over to depraved minds. I mean, these people that are trying to run academia today are spiritually darkened in so many cases. My heart just, you know, I, I get so grieved when I see the news, man, it's just of how wicked this world's getting. I think it was in Virginia. There's a guy that became like the, the, you know, the leader of the school council or what have you. And he's being sworn in. And he has a boyfriend. And he doesn't even have children. And I think his boyfriend is like heads up the, the music department or whatever in the school. And he doesn't want to swear in the Bible, so he swears in on about six or seven novels made for kids, which are erotic, sexualized. And some of these novels that these guys are approving that are in that school system in Virginia are, have you know, descriptions in the novels about adults having sex with 14-year-old boys, things of that nature. And they're not banned, by the way. And this guy's doing this on this, this stack of, of borderline, some of that's, yeah, you know, sexually, it's all sexually perverse literature. And then he swears in, then his boyfriend gives him a kiss, and it's like, how does that happen? He got in by a 65% vote, guys. What is going on with our country? It's like Fox running to run the hen house. They're after our kids. I've been warning you that for years. And I mean, I'd seen that for years and years since I was a young pastor, man. I'm not a young pastor anymore. And people thought I was nuts, probably. You know, wow, he's saying that the pedophiles are getting in the schools and all that. And that's, yeah, because I look at our video I did years ago, along with Chris Pinto called uh, the Kinsey Syndrome. Go in and watch that, man. We put out that, that put that out years ago saying the design is our children. They're after our children. These guys, what are these guys? They don't have kids. They don't have boys or girls in the school. They're two gay guys, yet pff, they're infiltrating the schools and they're infiltrating. And that's not the wisdom of God, guys. We have the wisdom of the Lord, amen? We have the Word made flesh, Jesus, right? He living in us. We have His living Word. And we ought to make sure this year we dedicate ourselves to reading through it, amen? Get in the Word. Make sure you're a man of the Word if you're a man. If you're a woman, make sure you're a woman of the Word of God, amen? So praise God. We have all the wisdom is in Jesus. Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1.24 it says, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
1 Corinthians 1.30, a few verses later, says, You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Man, we have our wisdom from God. We have our righteousness from God. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. Amen. We have our sanctification. Uh, we're set apart from evil by the power of Jesus Christ. We have a redemption. That means we've been saved by Jesus. It's all in Jesus, guys. It's all in Jesus. So as we look, it's all in Jesus, you know. Uh, sometimes I drive down the road this time of year. Drive down the road. I get a little teary sometimes. You know, I think of friends who've passed on, you know, that I miss. Think of my dad once in a while lately, you know. Get a little teary driving, miss him, you know. I talk to the Lord. I never try to talk to the dead people because that, that's stupid. You end up talking to a demon. But I miss him. But you know what? The answer is in Jesus. Amen? Because all those who know Jesus, we made alive in Christ. Amen? And because he lives, we will live also. Amen? So I'll be able to see them again. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that we'll be caught up, right? It says regarding our loved ones who have died and gone to be with the Lord, those who are in Christ. It says we'll be reunited with them. Amen? Well, will I recognize them? Will I... I believe you will. How do you know that? Because in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, two men appeared to him. Who were they? Moses and Elijah. Moses and, Elijah. and Peter and James, those guys knew who they were. They just knew by looking at them who they were. Now, I don't think they had pictures of them. And I don't think they had big Mo name tags. Mo, you know. <laughs> Eli or Elijah. No, I think they just... Knew because God by his spirit communicated that. Well, I think when we see people in heaven and in the heavenly kingdom, we'll know exactly who they are. And we'll just have just outpourings of love toward one another. So all these questions get resolved in Christ. The new year? Man, I mean, how many want a new start? Guess what? God is love, Amen. You ask for forgiveness. God says, because he's love, the guy, God tells us what love is. He keeps no record of wrong. Amen? As far as your condemnation, you're not condemned in Christ Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, is a new creature. Amen? All things have passed away and all things have become new. We have redemption, forgiveness through his blood, Ephesians 1, 7. Aren't you happy to know that the bad things that we should feel guilty about, that you've been able to be forgiven through faith in Christ, where those things don't have to haunt you? You have to lay uh, at bed at night or about thinking about things you did years ago. If you've asked God to forgive them in Christ Jesus, you've been forgiven. Amen? That's good news. Amen? You have peace with God. So we have peace with God. And do we have newness of life? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become what? New. So that's, I mean, how many people get a you know, newness of life every day? Well, every day, well, you're made a new creature when you were born again, amen? But guess what? Every day, the Bible says, old, the outward man is decaying day by day, but the inward man is, or person is being what? Renewed day by day. If you look in the mirror and say, I'm getting old. You are, you're a day older than you were the day before, but you're getting new, amen? You're being renewed by the power of his Holy Spirit. So all these incredible things are, we have in Christ Jesus, a lot of the world starves for fellowship this time of year. Millions of people 
have lost loved ones in this time of year, spouses who lost their spouse or those who lost their husbands or wives, children or children who have lost parents or people, they grieve. You don't realize what you have in Christ. You have all these brothers and sisters. You realize the world's not like that. I remember growing up with my dad. He was a World War II vet. And I would trip out when he'd actually talk to somebody outside the house. I remember he'd get on the phone. He'd talk to like, somebody from, that he knew from Pennsylvania before he came to California. And I'd be like, oh, my dad knows somebody outside of the home. And then I came to realize as I got older, that's like the World War II generation. A lot of them just kind of sit at the table. They drink and they don't really know anybody. And, and they know their family, maybe a couple neighbors. Some have more of a social life. Those that have more of a social life, a lot of times at the bar. And they're getting in trouble. Up to no good. But people, you know, how many have, before you were saved or your parents were saved, you realized there wasn't a whole lot going on. You guys realize what we have in Christ, the fellowship that we have? And Jesus says, I'll give you 100 houses in this life. Some say the word faith, prosperity teaches, oh, he's going to give you 100 mansions. How's that work out? Every believer has 100 mansions? No. It means you're going to have all kinds of brothers and sisters, man. And we have a family, amen? We take that for granted. But that's all because of Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, that's because Jesus is a new creation. But guess what? We are family now in Christ, and we have all these brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm saying you have so much. You know how many people would just love to just wake up Sunday morning and have a new friend that cared about them? Millions of people. Hundreds of millions of people. But guess what? You wake up. You go to sleep. You already know. You have brothers and sisters that love you. Amen? We just show up, follow Jesus, and we meet other people that love Jesus. And we have the same spirit, amen, the same master, the same eternal destiny, the same word of God, the same guidance, the same Holy Spirit, any, everything, amen. We have all this in common. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Ah, such a beautiful Greek word, koinonia. Let's say that together, koinonia, koinonia. That's such a beautiful word. It means to have things in common. And then, but as brothers and sisters, to have things in common is amazing. But we don't just have friends. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. Amen? We're part of the same body. And that means we need to minister to one another. That you need to love one another. How would you like to be in a place, be honest, where when you're going through something, there's somebody there to pray for you? When you're struggling and you have nothing to eat, there's a brother or sister who can buy you something to eat. Or that is, there's a shoulder to cry on. You want that kind of a place? Be that kind of place. Be that kind of place. Love one another, amen? Make sure you're being that person for other people. Because guess what? If you're that person for other people, guess what? We'll have our bases covered, amen? And guess what? You guys are much, very much that people. I know everybody here, for the most part, at Blessed Hope, Many of you for years and years and years, and there's a lot of loving people. But Paul says it's great that you abound in love to the Thessalonians, but he said still abound more and more. We need to abound more and more because we're not even close to where we need to be in Jesus, amen? He's the standard. Not a church down the street that's empty right after the service is over. Jesus is our standard is to love one another, amen? So we need, God wants us to be like Christ to other people, amen? When Jesus says, 
of the sheep on the, on the right side and the goats on the left side. Remember that? And the goats are condemned. Why? He says, I was in prison. You never visited me. I was hungry. You never fed me. I was naked. You never clothed me. And they're like, when did we not do that? When you didn't do this to the least of my, these, my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. But Jesus says to the sheep on his right hand, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Jesus, when did we do that to you? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, he's talking about the brethren, the other sheep, you did it unto me. So when we bless one another, when we encourage one another, when we go the extra mile for one another, when we, we show love for one another, we're showing that love to Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, God is not unjust to forget the love that you've shown to him in the way you've ministered unto the saints. I love that. That's Hebrews, I think, 6.10. God is not unjust to forget the way that you've showed him love in the way you've ministered to the saints. That means when you minister to the least of the brethren, that means when you help one another out, when you encourage one another, you're ministering to Jesus. And you know what? For me, Christmas, ever since I became a Christian, is more not about what I get, but more about how I can give back to Jesus. And one way I get to give back to Jesus is pouring the life of my brothers and sisters. Time, talent, treasure. That's how we minister one to another. You know, when God called Peter back after Peter denied the Lord three times and he was in a backslidden state and Peter was so grieved, he's bawling after he denied the Lord three times because he realized, wow, I'm fallen without Jesus, I'm dead. And Jesus restores him. You know what Jesus says to to him? Peter's like, I love you. You know, Peter's basically, Jesus saying, prove it. You know, Peter, he says, if you love me, he said, feed my what? Feed my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Feed my sheep. As a pastor, you know, I sh- you know why I show you love? Because I love you, but you know I also love Jesus. And I feed the sheep and I labor at it. And I pray for you guys. I earnestly study and cry out to God that I can pour into his sheep more because I love him because that way I get to feed his sheep. And what I do unto my brother and I do unto him and what you do to me and you do to each other and we do to one another in Christ, we do to Jesus. Amen? So keep pouring out love on each other. This new year, let's make sure that we make it an emphasis in our lives to love each other. And as soon as you get out the gate, Satan will try to put you in a tailspin, try to cause a situation in your life to where you become embittered or something with someone. Don't let that happen. Don't let the enemy get a foothold. Don't let the enemy win. Say no to Satan. No to the lies from the evil one and say no. I'm saying yes to Jesus, man. I've been forgiven in Christ Jesus and God says to forgive one another as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. So we need to love one another, amen? And we need to recognize that that love comes from God, amen? That deep, powerful love that conquers, you know, many waters cannot conquer love, amen? But these three endure, right? The greatest of these is, you know, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, amen? So we've got to walk in love, you guys. And we've got to thank God because he is love and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5. And the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, is love, peace, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, you know, self-control. What, what wonderful things. You know how many people in the world wish they had self-control? They're filled with anger and rage and alcohol and everything else. They have no control in their lives and they ruin relationships and everything else. We have that in spades in Christ Jesus. Amen? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We have the fruit of the Spirit, as long as we choose to walk in the Spirit. So all those things, you know, people want peace and love and joy this Christmas, but we already have it in Jesus. Romans, Paul says in the book of Romans, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but praise God, thank you for meat, Father, and thank you for, you know, fruit juice and all kinds of wonderful things. Don't drink too much fruit juice. It's really bad for you. A little bit of grape juice is good. Peace, love, and joy. And the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? The kingdom of God is peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we have all that in Jesus. What a wonderful God we have. So we have eternal fellowship. Amen? Eternal fellowship. Perfect fellowship. Without any even worry about everybody getting, ever stabbing you in the back again, man. Ever been stabbed in the back? Ever been hurt by somebody you thought, you know, that you just had only been good to, and, but turned around and stabbed you in the back? None of that's going to happen in heaven, man. Perfect fellowship. How many people would love if they could ask for one thing for Christmas? It's not their two front teeth. It's not a lot of these things we mentioned, but it'd be good health. Guess what? In heaven, man, perfect health. No more death. No more sickness. Revelation 21. Revelation 22. No more disease. Amen. Perfect health. That's all as a result of Jesus taking our sins upon himself. Amen. So we can have new life. Forgiveness, you know. We all need that forgiveness. And everyone here has blown it, myself included, big time in our lives. We'll have things that we just blew it. Yeah, I made some mistakes through the years. No, you made more than mistakes. We like to say a mistake is, is a sin is different than a mistake. A mistake is when the pizza guy puts on anchovies instead of pepperoni when you get the delivery. And you don't like the anchovies. Sin is transgression of God's moral law. It's flinging arrows against God's heart, into his heart. It's transgression of his moral law. It's, it's joining Satan in his rebellion is what sin is, man. But God in Christ Jesus forgives us our sins and blots out our transgressions. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Praise God for the riches of his grace. Amen. By grace you save through faith, that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You should be praising him for his grace. He didn't save you by works that you've done in righteousness. He saved you in spite of yourself and in spite of your sin because of his great love for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Amen. How many people, when I mentioned loneliness earlier, wish they had a sense of union with God, reconciliation with God. That's what we have in Jesus. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were, I'm sorry, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We've been reconciled by God, to God. How about this? How many people, of the millions of people that live in our country, if you could get any one thing, a lot of them would ask for a new home. If you said, hey, whatever you want, you get it, a new home. Guess what? We already have a new home in Jesus. Amen? Oh, Joe, I, I, I thought you meant like a, literally a new, yeah, I am, literally a new home. Well, I mean like a cool, yeah, beyond anything you can imagine. Because in Romans 14, verse 1, Jesus says, you believe in God? To his disciples, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many 
mansions, dwelling places. If we're not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And I will come back and I'll receive you again unto myself. Amen? And the King James says mansions. And the, the translation is not the best because the word doesn't mean mansions in the Greek. And I remember I memorized that as a young Christian because I had the King James. And then I saw these other translations, dwelling places. I looked it up the Greek. Yeah, it means dwelling places. doesn't mean mansions. I was kind of bummed, you know, because I, I liked that verse. Oh, many mansions. Then I thought about it. I go, wait a minute, man. Whatever dwelling places God has for us blows away any mansions in Beverly Hills. Amen. Just read about the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. Those are outhouses, as Keith Green would say, you know, compared to what God has going. Amen. So it's amazing. How about new vehicles? How many people would want a new vehicle for Christmas? Guess what, man? We get, we all, every believer here gets a cool new vehicle. What, 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 Maserati, Ferrari, Porsche, Joe, what? Your new vehicle is going to blow any of that away. I mean, would you rather drive a Maserati or would you rather have the ability to just go and take off, go into the clouds? See you guys, we'll be back. When Jesus comes back, it says we'll be like him, amen? And Jesus ascended to the Father. It says we'll be caught up to meet him in the air, Amen. It says we'll get resurrected bodies. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 that he'll transform these lowly bodies into the likeness of his glorious body. You know how many people would want new bodies? If you ask, you get whatever you want. Millions of people say, I want a new body. This, the new body you're going to get is going to blow away any body that anybody in the world could envision. Right now, they're in Silicon Valley. You have billionaires trying to come up with ways to defy death. I just read an article today on these billionaires who are trying to cheat death by coming up with new medications and new technologies. It was on, I think, a CNBC article I was looking at. And I thought, it's crazy, man. They're trying to cheat death. And they're trying to gain, get people up to 100 years old. And eventually, sometime, maybe 200 years old. What's that last 100 years going to be like? I'm wondering, you know. And then maybe 300 years old. Well, that's a long way off, it seems, if they could do that. But still, it's like a vapor compared to eternity. Amen? But guess what? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes me, will not, though you're dead, yet shall he what? Live. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life right now. In fact, we're told in... in John chapter 6, verse 24, that we pass from death to life and will not come into condemnation. Amen? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 1 John 5, 12, he that has the Son has the life. He that does not have the Son does not have the life. Right? And these things are written, John says, the next, very next verse, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen? We have Christ. We have life. We have eternal life. We don't have to doubt it because we know in his word we have the evidence of his resurrection, the evidence of the New Testament church exploding on the scene because those who were called by him saw the resurrected Christ. We have the evidence of Bible prophecy being fulfilled. We just discussed in the last, over the last two or three months since October 7th what was going on with regard to Israel and all these prophecies that she ceased to be a nation, she'd become a nation again, right? Then the world would become hateful toward not only Christians but toward Jews. And I've been telling you this for years and we're seeing it happen before our eyes. But already there's literally scores and scores, dozens 
Hundreds of prophecies that have already been fulfilled concerning Israel and Jesus Christ. We don't have to wonder whether he's real or not. Amen? We have the prophetic word of God clearly revealed to us. What an awesome reality. Eternal life. I mean, how many people would love to have eternal life? We have all this in Jesus, guys. Freedom from tyranny. You know how many people around the world live in oppressive nations? I just read about a gal in Italy who was Muslim parents. I just read this story today. I think I was reading in the Telegraph, a UK newspaper, and uh, online. And poor gal in Italy, her parents were sending her, I think, to Iran, where they had an arranged marriage, and she did not want to marry. They'll sell their kids off sometimes. And she didn't want to marry this gentleman. And they killed her. They called it honor killing. Her parents got life in prison in Italy. I mean, it's just, you know, there's tyranny. I mean, you know, in Muslim nations, if you want to follow Christ and you leave Islam, there's a fatwa put in your life, they'll kill you. But man, there's freedom in Christ. And the, Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free what? Indeed. Amen? We have freedom in Christ. How about a reputation? How about a new name? How many people in the world wish they could have a new name? Amen? Well, guess what? We all get a new name in Christ Jesus. Revelation 2.17, to the church of Pergamum, Jesus promises to the overcomer, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes. To him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. And there's a lot going on. I don't have time to explain. We've been through the Revelation. Through, we spent years in the book of Revelation and more than a year in just the churches. But just suffice, suffice it to say at this point, a, new, a white stone in those days meant that you were exonerated, you were acquitted of a crime. You were declared, declared innocent. You know, If you were in a, in a trial or in a city and you got a black pebble, you were, that would be in some towns guilt. You've heard the term, someone was blackballed. That came from that. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you a white stone. You're in a, declare your innocence. But I'm also going to give you a new name. Amen? And God's all about giving new names. Your name has to do with your identity. Remember Abraham? What was Abraham's name before he was Abraham? Abraham. But his name was Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Because that had to do with his new identity. Remember Jacob? Jacob was mischievous, man. Jacob needed to get right, right? He had to go through some hard knocks to repent and get right with God. And Jacob's name meant heel uh, snatcher or supplanter. But God got a hold of him and transformed his heart. He changed his name to Israel, which means what? One who has power with God. One who's governed by God. One who submitted to God. Amen? His name was changed and became something really, really beautiful. And it's important that we understand this and we see this. And you'll see guys like uh, Peter. Remember Peter? What was Peter's name? Simon, right? And before Peter was Peter, he was Simon. He was like shifting sand, right? Just, he was like water. You just, Peter was all over the place, amen? But Jesus changed his name to Peter, which is from Petros, which means little stone. Not Petra, something Peter was, some Roman Catholics say, he was the first pope. Impossible. 
When you go and read Acts chapter 15, Peter doesn't even make the final decision there. James does, the pastor in Jerusalem. Peter's there, they're, they're coming to agreement, but James says, this is what I've decided, and he writes out the letter. Oh, and Peter, by the way, was married. Catholic popes aren't married. You know, the pope's been in the news lately of the Roman Catholic Church. See what he's doing? I don't know if you saw, it's been in the news this last week. He's granted uh, privileges for the priest to now bless uh, gay relationships. You know, not to consider them married, but to just bless them. And we've seen that coming because he's been saying things like that for a while, but now he's encouraging the priests to say, you go out and bless these. Really? If you, if you really want to bless a couple that's gay, you, want to, you tell them to repent of their sins because Jesus loves them. If they, if they turn from being together as a male and male, which is contrary to God's moral law, that they'll, if they repent, they'll be forgiven. Amen? And then their lives can be blessed in Christ. But you don't act like they're being blessed by patting them on the back, pronouncing spiritual blessing upon them as they're on their way to hell. Because what the Pope is doing by doing that, he's effectively helping damn potentially millions of people. Did you know that? That is reprehensible. So what we have is we get a new name in Christ. We have new names in Jesus. And, you know, I love it. You remember, how many, don't raise your hand because you probably, unless you really remember, but there's a guy named Joseph of Cyprus. And uh, you, you read about him, but you would probably not remember him as Joseph the Levite from Cyprus. But Joseph uh, from Cyprus, he ended up giving a lot of his money to the, help the church in Jerusalem when it was going through hard times. And then his name was changed by the apostles to Barnabas, son of encouragement. Isn't that a trip? And you probably know him as Barnabas, amen? And I love the fact that hopefully we'll be known by our new identity in Christ and not remembered by our old identity before Christ, amen? And the things that, that we've lived with and the stigma before we've, you know, we're surrendered to Christ, those, that old man dies, amen? And his old man is dead and buried, right? But the new one, we're alive with Christ and we're alive in Christ, amen? And how do you get the new name? Well, number one, it's by the grace of God, amen? But also look at what happens. Peter submits and becomes like a, he becomes not Petra, which means huge stone. He becomes Petros. His name is changed to Petros, means little rock, right? Or uh, Joseph becomes a giving brother and gives to help the church and minister to one to another so people can be blessed and is known as son of encouragement. So the other thing is God's grace, but it's also you cooperating with God's grace and walking in righteousness, allowing God to make you and give you a new identity. Amen. Let's let that happen this year, amen? Let's work for God. Let's, let's, let's give to His glory. That means expand your life trying to help one another, praying for each other, encouraging one another, being there for each other, amen? Loving one another as we've talked about. How about new direction? How many people this new year wish they could have new direction? That new direction is found in Christ, amen? Because Jesus said, I mentioned the scripture already, John 14, 6, I am the what? I'm the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. One of my favorite verses. I think uh, there's I got a lot of verses on, on, on the way and the path and the, but I love uh, you know seek out the ancient way, stand at the crossroads, and ask for the ancient way. You know, and I love Proverbs chapter three verses five and six. You know, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? 
all of your heart. Lean not on your what? Own understanding, but in what? Some of your ways or all your ways? All your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths what? Straight. Can you do that this new year? Seek Jesus, man. Cry out to Jesus. Say, God, use me in Christ Jesus. Amen? And go, go, go and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. I want to challenge you, if you're not memorizing any verses right now, this is we two great verses to memorize, very simple verse to memorize. Verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart, right? Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and you, he will make your paths straight. It's such a beautiful passage. And what's he calling us to do here? He's calling us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And trust means to confide in God, to rely on God. You sat down on that chair because you felt it would hold you up, and it's bearing your weight. Praise God. When you put trust in Jesus, you're saying, you know what? I'm putting the weight of my salvation on you. I'm trusting you with my entire life. And you just give your entire life to Jesus. You surrender to him. And you lean into him. And you put your trust in him. And that implies that uh, the decisions you make, you say, I'm following what you say. I trust that you know best. And you're righteous. And, and your word uh, is righteous. And, and it says, trust the Lord with all your what? Heart. The heart is the very center of your being. With everything in the depths of who you are, you put all that trust into Christ. You lean on him. You rely on him. You put your faith in him. And you don't give in to worry. You give it all to Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer with prayer. And thanksgiving and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to who? God. And it'll give you peace that passes human understanding. Or in, I love uh, Peter in 1 Peter 5, 7. We're told to cast all our anxieties or our cares on him because he what? Cares. So that's how you trust him. You're saying, Lord, I pray, I seek you. I'm going through this right now. I put my trust in you. And you talk to him in prayer. And that's important to do. Uh, you don't freak out and, and, and worry. You give it to the Lord and you pray and you seek him. And you trust him. And lean not on your own what? Understanding. What does it mean to lean on something? You know? It means to recline against something. To have something hold you up. Well, you're not supposed to lean on your own understanding. If you're leaning on your own understanding, you're not trusting him with all your heart. Amen? The Bible says, the way that seems right, but the end is death. Lean not on your own understanding. This is critical that we get this, that we don't lean on our own understanding. And most, many professing Christians do that. Because guess what? Things are really tough, and they'll take a bad way out. Oh, they're tempted financially, they're struggling, and many of them professing to follow Christ will cheat. Oh, this will be the better way. No, it's not. That's going to break God's heart. You're going to break his moral law. And you're going to reap what you sow. And it's going to cause some havoc in your life. Or they're going through something romantically, they think. And though the God says, nope, danger, don't go in that direction. Then they walk in lust and they fulfill some kind of lustful pursuit. They lean on their own understanding. 
Or, you know what, they're trying to get something done and they're not getting movement by somebody. Instead of seeking the Lord and, seek of, and, and speaking the truth and love to that person and trying to get things on the ball in the right way or trusting God for it, they get angry, impetuous. They make decisions without thought and they blow it and they cause harm. The Bible says to be angry and sin not. Don't let the, the, the sun go down in your anger. And the Bible says that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Or one translation says, does not, the anger of man doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. So they walk in lust, or they walk in anger, or they walk in pride, or they walk in impatience, and they lean on their own understanding. And they bring forth rotten fruit in their lives. Don't lean on your own understanding, amen? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Amen. Lean not on your own understanding. Well, what do I do then? The very next verse, acknowledge him in what? All your ways. Every, all your ways, meaning everything you face. Lord, what do you say about this? What does your word say about this? What's your will for me in this situation, Lord? What has to do with your work situation? What has to do with your, your relationships with others? Amen. Friends and family and spouses and what have you. You acknowledge him in all your ways. You fear him. That's how you practice the presence of God. I've been a believer for a long time. I'm married to my lovely wife, Lisa, over there. I have children, I have grandchildren, I have brothers and sisters in Christ. But that's my life day to day. I'll just say, okay, what do I want to do today? Hmm. I think I'll do this, and I'll think I'll do that. And I, think, and I feel like this, and I feel like that. No, man. You go by your feelings. I mean, when is it indigestion? When is it just stupidity? When is it just, you know, no, I fear the Lord. You know, my wife knows me really good. She knows I commit everything to prayer. She does that with me. We acknowledge the Lord. Decision to make, we seek the Lord. The elders, John's right there. He's one of the... Praise God, Johnny, you're still healthy, man. John hasn't gone down yet, at least not recently, you know. Uh, Steve and uh, uh, Chad are out right now. And unless Chad made it tonight, I know he was pretty sick today when I called him. But, uh, and I was out earlier. But... We as elders, we don't say, okay, we, 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 what does the Lord say? What does his word say, amen? You know, if you look at our, our statement of faith, our bylaws, it's all based on God's word, amen? We don't make it up as we go. What's his word say? That's how you live your life. You acknowledge what he says. What does he say about marriage? When the Pope says that Catholic priests can now bless, you know, gay relationships as long as they're not considered marriage, is that acknowledging the Lord in all his ways, yes or no? Absolutely not. That's how you get off the narrow road. When you start doing it your way, you start making it up. Why would anyone want to go to a church, quote unquote, where they just make it up as they go? They stick their finger in there and say, what's politically correct? No, we have to fear the Lord, acknowledge him in all of our ways. And then he'll make our paths what? He'll make them straight, man. We won't have crooked lives. We won't have tangled, messed up lives, man. We'll be on the straight and narrow, the, the road of Jesus. Amen. So praise God, man. He'll make your way straight. And I'm telling you right now, the world's getting nuts. It's getting crazy. But you know, he's given us his roadmap into the future. I mean, I'm tripping out. I mean, right now I'm looking around and I'm like, hmm. You have all these people seeking prophets today instead of the word of God. You want to be prophesied over? Turn to the book of Jeremiah. Go to the book of Isaiah, right? 
Go to Jesus, amen? Look at what he says in his word, amen? But did you know right now you have, with this whole new apostolic reformation and the, the Christian nationalism, and we're all taking over, they say, the, the world for Christ. And I'm not kidding. Some of the most popular so-called ministries in the world today are online where you have people getting hundreds of thousands of views of these prophecies they're claiming God gives them. Many of these prophecies, many of these prophets, they call them, they were prophesying, it's been all over the news, it's being covered by major news outlets claiming that Trump was going to win the second election and serve a second term. Many of these prophets were saying over and over again. Anybody see that stuff? Yeah, it was all over. Yeah, oh, Jesus showed us that he's going to win the next four years. And then when he didn't win, they had egg all over their faces. Oh, no, 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 we, we were right. He just, the election got stolen, so technically we were right. No, you guys were prophesying that you'd have eight years and he'd be ushering in this new era. And then after it didn't happen, well, he's still going to be put there. We're not changing our prophecies. Because he'll be there. Just wait. The recount. There'll be the recount and everything. Then he'll be serving the next four years. Never happened. In fact, one of these guys, Johnny Enlow, one of the, in fact, Johnny Enlow has been called by the guy who, you know, came up with the term New Apostolic Reformation from Fuller Seminary there. Gave him that title as the, the main prophet of the New Apostolic Reformation. He said, oh, no. I didn't falsely prophesy this. In fact, Jesus showed me him in heaven. His second term, even though he wasn't in the, uh, uh, the White House, which is where he said he would be, the second term. He said, no, Jesus showed me that Trump was in heaven and God coronated him and gave him a golden crown and there's a golden scepter in his hand in heaven and, and Trump's still reigning in some way. It's like, what in the world? It's so wacky, you know? This stuff, you can't make it up, guys, because they don't want to admit they're false prophets. But they've been prophesying an era of peace and safety, saying Trump was going to bring in this era of peace. And that tickles people's ears because people want to hear that. Peace and safety, man. We're coming in this, this new, we're going to take over the seven mountains of influence, school systems and entertainment and religion, and the church is going to rule the world. It's a lie, guys. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, how much more are they going to persecute the master? How much more are they going to persecute you, the servants? And they're going to think, and then you're going to get killed, Jesus says. They're going to think that they're doing God's service by killing you. When the Antichrist rises, Christians will be killed in mass by a lot of people professing to be Christians. Because brother will betray brother, Jesus said. And they'll be putting Christians to death because they'll be serving who they think is the Messiah. Because they fell for a false eschatology. And which will deceive even the very elect. Jesus says, For false Christ will arise in false prophets, showing great signs and wonders, deceiving if possible even the elect. Behold, I've warned you in advance. Amen. So there's huge deception coming. I have a book called The Seven Mountain Prophecies by Johnny Enlow. And in this, he talks about how the Muslims will be converted. It's these, these Christians who are into discernment, who use gray matter, the gray matter Christians. Those will become the enemy. And those guys are going to have to be wiped out in the end. Woo, really? You're letting your true colors show them here, buddy. You're under the spirit of Antichrist, dude. That's what's going on there. So you have a lot of the church thinks we're just going to be out of here. They're not prepared. 
They're going to be shocked when we go through the tribulation period. Another big part of the church thinks we're going to take over. And guess what? They're going to take over. They're be on the wrong side, though. Lord, wake them up and shake all of them up. But we have God's, we have the wisdom of God, his word. How come people just don't read Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, book of Daniel, 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2, the book of Revelation, the prophetic books, the book of Joel, and so forth. It's right here, guys. Commit yourself to the word of God. Amen. So, you guys, we have the roadmap into the future. We have everything we need in this coming year. There's, don't listen to these prophets, man. Okay? God can speak to our hearts. We believe in the power of God. We're, not, we're continuationists. We're not cessationists. We've seen God, by His grace, impress upon this fellowship through the years with different warnings and so forth that were supernatural. It's like, wow, Lord. <sighs> Praise God. Thank you. Where He showed up, showing up like that. But you test everything by the word of God. Amen. And if someone's making false prophecies, they have lot, and they made a false prophecy, and you go to this fellowship and you claim they have a word from God, it doesn't happen, you are not a prophet. The next time you make a prophecy, you're out of here because you've already shown you're not a true prophet of God. Amen. You don't say God, you're saying God can't speak to hearts at all. Yeah, he can. Mark 13. Jesus says, Don't premeditate what you speak when they bring you before kings. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance at that time. Yeah, God will use us. He's going to use the two witnesses during the tribulation period. Amen? They will prophesy 1,260 days. Amen? But man, they have to be, if they speak not according to his word, it says there's no light in them. Amen? Because Jesus says many false prophets will arise, and they'll deceive many. Amen? So I want to encourage you guys, this coming year, unwrap Jesus every day. Amen? Be thankful every day for all that he's given you and all, he's, all the ways he's blessed you. Amen? And stick to his word. Don't run off and have your ears tickled so you can have some weird experience. Experience the living Christ through his living word. Amen? Because you can't trump that. Amen? No pun intended. <laughs> can we all please stand?